My name is Cameron. I am 29 years old from the Bay Area, California. Um, I work in the entertainment industry. I work for a company that handles day-to-day -day management for professional athletes and music artists. Um, I oversee the music side and uh, yeah, that's me. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all of you and I have had uh, multiple uh, sessions sitting and talking about business. And, you know, I find all the information that you've ever talked about. So yeah. eye opening, um, especially as it comes to when it comes to streaming and managing musicians. Um, I know you yeah. do a host of other things, but how did you get into all this? Oh, man. I, so I think that's the most interesting part about the entertainment industry is most other corporate industries kind of have this blueprint to to work your way up the ladder, right? Like you go to this college and when you're a junior at this college, you get an internship at this company. And then by the time you graduate, they give you an entry level position. You start working your way up the ladder. Um, in entertainment, it's so odd because the SVP of this record label might only have a GED and the SVP of this label might, you know, be an MD in his past life and or might be a JD. And so um, I've, I've noticed that everybody's path to success is a little different. Mine started in Santa Barbara, where I went to City College, transferred to Arizona State when I was 19 or 20. Um, and in my first semester at Arizona State, I, I was working with a group called Kaylin and Miles um, that did pop music. And there I met them just we're, we're from the same area growing up. Um, but there became an opportunity when I was 20 years old to work on a more permanent basis with them. And when I was in Arizona, um, we signed to a major record label. Um, Universal Republic was a label. And uh, that budget just allowed for me to be full-time doing creative. Um, at that moment, I was I was really focused on the creative side. I, I really enjoyed the content side of it. So I was focusing on social media and music videos and um, just content from a consumer perspective. Um, that was fairly short-lived. We got dropped from the label after the first album didn't do incredibly. Um, from that point, I met somebody named Eric Bellinger. And I was doing the same thing for him. I was um, helping him roll out his project from a content standpoint. And um, after his second project I did that for, his manager at the time, who was now my business partner, reached out to me. I think I was 21 or 22. And he just brought me to the side and he's like, hey, man, like, I think you have a better understanding of this business than a lot of other people in your shoes. I think that um, I don't have the bandwidth to take on any more artists. And I've been waiting to find somebody I can partner with. And I think that me and you should just um, tackle this on our own. And um, I was 20, 20, 21 or 22 at the time. And and uh, we, we've been doing that ever since. And so now we, you know, on the sports side, we've recently expanded to sports. We manage Victor Oladipo, who was um, point guard for the Miami Heat. Um, on the music side, obviously, Eric Bellinger, um, rappers like Joe Moses. Um, we just signed a girl named Joy Chavez um, a couple weeks ago. Um, Yaya Lee, who's an R&B singer um, from the Midwest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of got my start fairly unorthodox, but I think that that's precedent in the entertainment industry. 
What did you study at ASU? I was studying digital media. And so it, it kind of aligned with what I wanted to do. Um, the, the other thing that's just so tough is I had this conversation with um, a family friend the other day who was in school for graphic design. It's really, really hard to get a degree in something so subjective because you don't know if you're learning or if you're being taught what is going to be valuable three, four, five, ten years down the line just because, one, it's it's always evolving. Music is always evolving. What Even from a graphic design level, what is cool or trendy in the graphic design world is always evolving. But then, two, it's just so subjective. Like, what your professor thinks might be good music might not be what the consumer thinks is good music. So um, I'm, I'm very much an advocate for higher education, but I'm also very aware that there are some industries that I think going on YouTube and learning or just getting your, your hands dirty. And I, I learned way more being in the field than I would have ever learned inside of a classroom. I know it makes you think about this a lot more now because I would, I would bet that most creators out there have not really formally had training at the college level in the shit that they do. And yeah. A lot more money than people who've gone and gotten formal training. And it could be a hindrance too, right? Like all that theoretical crap that you sit and you like discuss with your professors mm -hmm. about art yeah. or graphic design, music, mm -hmm. it could really hinder you in some fucked up ways. Yeah, absolutely. And and it kind of goes back to the conversation I was having with my family friend. He does graphic design work and his focus is on sports. And I, I kind of knew immediately, like, if your work is good, I, I can insert you into a couple different professional sports franchises. And I looked at it. And granted, I'm ignorant to what they're teaching at a college level these days because I haven't been there for a decade. But I, I looked at it and I was thinking, if this is what they're teaching at a college level, these kids are set up for failure because I can go and I am not, I can't, I do go and source graphic designers that are, I mean, I don't even have face-to-face -face verbal communication with them. It's emails and I send them $200 and they get me back something that in the States they're looking for college graduates to produce. And for all I know, this could be like a 16 year old Ukrainian kid just at his computer typing away, but is producing content, producing a product that is... That he gets. He understands. At, yeah, at a superb level for like a fraction of the price. And so, yeah, it, it very well could hinder, um, you know, what you're learning in a classroom environment. And one of my closest friends is um, 2L at Minnesota, University of Minnesota Law. And he just sent me a, a um, photo of what they were learning the other day. And it was music publishing. And he was like, man, this is confusing. It's like all these family trees of... This uh, is monetized through this revenue stream. And and I was like, man, like, how long are they spending on this? Because I could come in there and teach you every single thing you need to know about this in, in 120 minutes. But, you know, it just, it's a different world now. And, and like I said, I'm such an advocate for higher education. Like, I would never encourage anybody to just go out there and try to figure it out on their own with no game plan. But, but you know what, though, Cameron, I'm going to stop you real quick. Because I think I, I've spent enough time with you in real life to know that you're a pretty smart guy. I mean, you're very street smart. And when you have talked to me about these contracts or when you have talked to me about certain things that your lawyers could do, but you have to take yeah. the reins back because you could do it, you know, whatever, through a different yeah. way of 
not everybody could figure that out. And maybe, I don't know, this is just, I'm like, I want to debate this out. Maybe yeah. the fact that people have to go to school, and I'm not talking about like top tier Harvard Law, Yale Law. I'm talking about yeah. like third tier, fourth tier law schools. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just because they can't figure it out and maybe they're just not. And, no, but, I, and that's why I am an advocate for higher education because I'm, I'm very aware that like, Self-awareness and intuition aren't as common as, as one would like to think. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, I, I I would always encourage somebody to go get an education, whether it's traditional or not, but go get an education. Like, don't jump in thinking, you you know, and when I say non-traditional, I feel like I got a, a fairly non-traditional education in this because when I dropped out of college, I was inserted into a major label situation where they gave me the freedom to be in those marketing meetings just as a fly on the wall. Like, like it was a very much like, Hey, you don't, you don't hold any weight here. Just be, you know, a representative from the artist side and just listen. But man, like I could tell you things that I still hold with me today that I just learned from being in a very non-formal meeting, but at the highest level. And so that's what I mean by like non-traditional education is I feel like I'm very, very educated in this space. I just don't necessarily have a degree on my wall to show for it, but yeah. I got a couple plaques on my wall to show for it. I, I, and I get it. And I, and I think about like P. Diddy, right? Like when I think about P. Diddy, I don't know how much education he has or whatever, but he just, just optically from where I sit, just looking at his career and the span yeah. and trajectory, it just seems like he just was inserted into these places at an early place in hip hop's history. And he just managed to figure things out on a business level and he had a knack for it. And I mean, when you rise to the top like that, it has a lot to do with personality, luck, yep. uh, how quick you could sponge up all that information and synthesize your charisma, synthesize your knowledge, synthesize the experience, being the fly on the wall that somebody gave you an opportunity to sit in a meeting. Yeah, absolutely. That, that are unquantifiable when you think about like a young college student who's like dreaming of becoming like a music exec. Yeah. And, and to your point too, um, this is an industry that there aren't necessarily too many objective avenues. And so, being somebody like a Diddy or like a um, Lior Cohen or like a Rick Rubin, you, you can kind of make the rules within a certain confine, right? Like you can't just go in there and start like, like turning tables, but this isn't, um, this isn't corporate law. It's not the rule is the rule is the rule. It's yeah. the rule is, is on a spectrum. And so, if you're a Diddy and you're working with a producer, it's not, this is standard and this is what we do. It, you know, you can work around it. And so that's why I think it does, this industry does lend itself to people that can leverage their intuition and leverage self-awareness and leverage relationships and their personality and their charisma because you can always make something work. There's not too many scenarios that I've been in where it's just been, this isn't going to work. It's always just been, can we be creative? Can we make sure that this, you know, is lucrative for everybody? But um, that's why people like a Diddy work because, or a Dame Dash, because they can go into a scenario and say like, I know this is how we did it in the past, but let's tweak this a little bit and it, it can work. And so, um, yeah, if you're one of those people, I think that this is a good industry for you. How, how much time do you spend studying 
the guys like Ruben or Dame Dash and, you know, all these guys who, like, broke the mold, like, when they yeah. were coming I admittedly not a ton anymore, but when I was younger, man, like I've always had a respect for people that can leave their imprint on music without using their voice, without like being on a song. Right. And so Diddy obviously is an artist, but for the most part, he's an executive. Um, Lior is an executive. Rick Rubin is an executive. Like those guys I, I I really appreciate the way they think and they they changed music. Like Dame Dash changed music, Birdman changed music, and they all did it from behind a desk. And that I think is really admirable because it takes a village to to make a number one song. There's very few hit records that are just artists by themselves in a room or artist producer in a room. Um it takes a village all the way down to creative all the way down to PR down to legal graphic design like I was again I keep like referring past conversations I have with like younger kids but somebody was asking like well just put a song out and when you're at this level putting a song out means booking a studio that's a thousand dollars a day booking the engineer to record you bringing in a pack of beats having a writer there tracking the record hopefully it's a good record this is all assuming that we like the song there's more often than not you leave the studio and you don't even like the song but assuming we like the song then it's okay then we're on to mixing and mastering that's going to be three four ten passes before we find something we like then it's conceptualized graphic design we got to figure out the artwork is this a single is this not a single if it's a single, we probably need a music video. Now I got to go contact a production agency and get a couple of treatments and run those by the artist and see if any of those connect. Um, then we go down to legal. Um, who wrote the song? There's going to be more than one writer because there always is. Who produced the song? There's always going to be more than one producer because there always is. How do we want to do the splits? How do we want to do the royalty? How do we want to do the producer advance? Wait, hold Hopefully, on. Hopefully, yeah. Wait. <laughs> You guys are making tracks and completing them entirely before you get into the legal side? Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's crazy. Um, just because so often the song doesn't come out. Um, and it's just such a waste of time to to get into the administrative work before we even know if the song's gonna come out. Damn, and so like how do you come up with something and finish it? And then like, you now are you going to fight over some shit that man? Oh my God. It, it, so when I was younger, it used to be really, really tricky for me because you used to fall in love with the song. And then a week later you hear back like, Oh, we can't put this out because of this reason. Or we can't put this out because of this reason. Um, but you, you just get used to it after so many like swings and misses that I think, the established artist has it in their brain when they leave the studio that this there's no guarantee that this might come out um and it's just something you get used to after enough reps wow so you come out of the studio it's all completed and mm -hmm. then you have to sit back down so it is it's more of a hierarchy game at this point right like the biggest man with the with the sitting on the highest position is the one who says, you know, like, I'm dictating what the splits are. I'm dictating where the credits roll. Yeah, and so, yeah, and that kind of goes back to, like, the rules that are not necessarily the rules. And so on, on the publishing side, what's standard is the music is 50% and the writing is 
Um, but sometimes you got to bend those rules. And so the producer is entitled to their 50% of the publishing or producers are entitled to their 50% of the publishing. And then what's standard is 3%, three points on the royalty side. But sometimes you might have to mess with that a little bit and say, hey, like, I have too many writers on the writing side and they can't split 50% between 12 of them. Can you give me some of the pub and I'll, I'll compensate you on the royalty side or the opposite. How about I give you more pub and less royalty, or how about I give you a bigger upfront advance and less of, you know, you can, you can kind of mess with it however you want. And of course it's up to the discretion of the producer, whether or not they want to accept those terms. But um, there's typically always some sort of middle ground you can find to, to, Make everybody maybe not happy, but not mad. Shit. And how do you learn this? How do you learn these splits? Uh, reps, trial and error. Um, we've probably put out over a thousand songs. And you got to do this for every song. Um, and sometimes it's really easy. Sometimes it's everybody is in agreement with what happened that day in the studio and it just gets done. And then sometimes this producer just has the number one hit that came out in the last month. And now he has these big lawyers and a new manager and three other producers under him that also worked on the beat. And there's a sample on the beat. And now that sample is from an artist that also had seven producers in the studio when they made that. And, and then it can get ugly um, for sure. Wow. That is insane. No. Yeah as I hear this stuff and I'm trying to process it, I'm like, I'm trying to figure always what, like when we, you and I sit and talk, yeah, about the money, like it just mm -hmm. sounds like a barren desert land to me. When I think about the music industry and, yeah. and, and Napster and what they did and all the streaming shit, it's completely obliterated. Like the model of making money in music and hundred percent, it's gone. It's all fucked. So how do you stay in business year after year? So, it's like, unfortunately, it's like a lot of industries these days where like the 1% make 98% of the revenue. And it sucks because you talk about like Napster. So when I first started in music, we were on digital downloads, right? Like iTunes. Um, and for the the kid just in his bedroom making music, it, it's a double-edged sword now because yeah. back then, if you got a thousand people to buy your song for a dollar, you got $8,500 or $850. You got 85% of it. If you found, and so, you know, Miles from Kalen Miles, how I started in this, he had a couple of songs that would do 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 downloads, which isn't a big number at all. But when you're, you know, 19 in your parents' house making music in the closet, $8,000 is a lot of money. Um, and so now it's 0. 0.0004 cents or 0. 0.004 cents per stream. And, and, and you say per stream, how long does that have to be? Is it like three seconds? Once, seconds? once you listen to a song for 30 seconds, it's, it counts as a stream. And while I say it's a double-edged sword is because now there's things called algorithmic playlists, right? Like you go on Spotify and rap caviar or today's hits or viral hits. And it opens you up to an audience that might never have found you if you can somehow land yourself on that. And so now if you have a million streams, it's $4,000. Now, how hard is it to get a million streams? 
it, it depends on the caliber of artists. If you end up on one of those playlists, you might just by habit get a million streams because there's that much traffic coming to those playlists. Um, but but that's still point zero 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 four, right? Right. And so now now it, you kind of go back to like, what was harder? Was it harder for me to get five thousand strangers to give me a dollar, or was it harder to get a hundred thousand strangers to listen to my song for free? And so there's there's scenarios that for each one. But you have to be really big to even make a dent in, you know, to make money. It's it's tough. Yeah. And that's why we're so big on owning your masters, because if you're signed to a label, it doesn't even matter how many streams you get. That money's not coming to you anyways. You're living off of touring and merch. Um, but yeah, I, I would say it's gotten harder to kind of um, bust through the ceiling of making six figures in music as an artist. I think it was probably a lot easier in the digital downloads age or the hard copies age. So is this the death of music eventually? Will it um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see um, because the, the kind of conversation that's happening now is we have access to every song that's ever been made for $10 a month. Is that, is that here to stay? Like, I don't know. Like I, I, my fear is that there's going to be, you know how we have HBO plus and Paramount plus my fear is there's going to be like um, Atlantic plus where you pay $10 a month for all the Atlantic music and yeah. then Warner Warner world where you pay all the, you know, $10 a month for Warner. Um, but I, I mean, Music is very oversaturated right now. Um, the streaming era has potentially made things worse because it it encourages quantity um, because of streaming, because it costs no money for an, a consumer to listen to a song. And once they get through 30 seconds of it, you start getting paid on it. And so I, I would I would like to think that the pendulum, pendulum is going to naturally swing back to quality. But I, I mean... I don't I don't know how though. I don't I don't I don't see it. I you know, you go to like an EDM station on Spotify mm -hmm. and you just get the same old repackaged music song yeah. EDM and there's like subgenres of this EDM like there's, mm -hmm. you know, maybe 30 different subgenres and you click on these radio stations of each song and it produces more of the same. It's like it's a never-ending wave, a never-ending supply, whether it's so, or rap or whatever you touch. The 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 tricky thing now is like trying to play the TikTok game because that is the new music discovery. That's like the new radio. Um, the issue is, I'm not sure if it translates. Not so the the old thing used to be radio and being unsure if it translated to making fans, right? Are we just a fan of the song or are we a fan of the artist? But now it's TikTok trying to see if it even translates to the song because it's only 10 seconds, 15 seconds. That might not even be enough for a consumer to go, let me see if I even want to listen to this song outside of this TikTok platform. Let me see if I even want to add this to my library. Um, and it's getting, it's getting tricky. And there, there's like a beauty in it a little bit because 
you're forcing artists to be accountable for their own destiny. You're forcing artists to, to be consistently authentic and genuine. Like I, I always see on Twitter, people arguing about why doesn't the label push this artist more? And why doesn't the label do this? And my question is always like, what, what would you like the label to do? Like for real, what, what would you like them to do? Tell me what could, what a label could do right now to make, you excited about an artist and i'm actually asking you like what like what could a label do right now to make you an like an everyday consumer excited about a new artist okay you're asking me that question right yeah okay yeah. so for me i would like to see a little bit more of their personal life yeah i want to see them more on podcasts yeah if i'm into an artist i want to get to know every little detail of their life in their and that and that's my exact point is an artist has the ability to do that without a label. And yeah. so when people keep saying a label needs to, and my thing is like, well, we have surpassed the need for a label. We don't need those marketing departments because I, you know, back in the day, an album cycle lasted four months out of the year. And that artist was on Jimmy Kimmel and Fallon and had billboards everywhere and had a Super Bowl halftime or a Super Bowl commercial. And then they went into hiding for their, other eight months and that was our FaceTime with that artist but now you you kind of gotta be everywhere and and you don't need a label to to put your face out there you don't need a label to make vlogs on YouTube twice a week you don't need a label to go get your voice on a podcast and so I, I think now we're in a space where there's more accountability on the artist to go yeah. and make people fans of them yeah I mean I think what artists do need is a team for sure. They need a team. They need their marketing team. They need the personal assistant. They need editors. They need brand content, you know, producers. And mm -hmm. I think if they have all of that and they can stir up like really good content, then they can, it's like cash flow, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once they get enough eyeballs and they get good momentum, and then once they get momentum, then they just put the word out hey, I'm touring, I have 30 cities. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, how money's that. That's just me. When I people think. are afraid to um, not perform well, but the thing is, nobody's first attempt is a success. And if it is, it's an anomaly. They're they're the exception. Nobody's first song does great. Nobody's first song is even good. Nobody's first vlog is good. Nobody's first time on a podcast is good. Nobody's first anything mm -hmm. is good. And I think we're people want to microwave their careers so much that it's like, they're afraid to just put in a year. Like, of course, if you put your first vlog out, it's going to get 30 views, but do it twice a week for a year. And maybe you're at 20,000 views or 50,000 views. And then like, just keep going. And I think that we like, we're, we're, we've surpassed that time where people are willing to, to be patient. But if you look at all your favorite artists, there was a time where Travis Scott performed in front of 12 people. There was a time when Kendrick Lamar had to post on Instagram four times a day to get people excited about his album. They don't do it anymore. And now that's all we see. And so people think that's synonymous to their career. Oh, Kendrick Lamar doesn't have to post on Instagram. So I don't have to post on Instagram. No, Kendrick Lamar doesn't have to post on Instagram today because he's Kendrick Lamar. But he did have to post on Instagram when he before he was Kendrick Lamar. And I think people want to skip that entire thing and just get to the point where they're embraced by everybody. Like people are afraid to look dumb and, and you know, naturally so it's a, it's a human fear, but we're, you got to play the game. Damn, man. This sounds like you 
what you just said the last 20 seconds sounds like shit that you have to preach to your talent. Oh my talent. God. Yeah, it, it for sure. Like that. It sounds like you have to like explain the shit. I sound like a robot, huh? Like I've said that many times. It sounds like you've said it many times. So is this yeah. shit that you have to tell your people all the time? Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing when it comes to artist branding is you got to know who you are as a person or as an artist. And we, we're in an age where music is so accessible by so many people that you can be whatever you want. You don't have to have this mass appeal anymore. You can You can be a niche artist and just be like, the R&B singer that also embraces the skateboard community. Like the internet is big enough for you to be that niche, but whatever you choose, you got to live and die and stand on that and really get those people involved with you and figure out how, if you're the skateboard guy, figure out where skateboarders discover new music and figure out, you know, what they're into and what their lifestyle looks like and be that person. You know, I think the biggest mistake an artist can make is, try to please everybody because then you end up pleasing nobody yeah you know like so i got this crazy question this thought is if you could sit down with a you know above average talent right like an yeah. above average musician and that person was willing to subscribe to your game plan right yeah mm -hmm. do you have confidence to say i can make you a lot of money or yeah, i do or is it more than just listening to your manager? Your no, manager I, I mean, of course, the bulk of the work still relies on the artist. Like you, you still gotta, you still gotta be somebody that people like, right? Like you could do all the stuff and be accessible to everybody and engage with fans, but if they don't like you, they just don't like you. And and the harsh reality is. Some people just don't want to hear music from from you, right? Like there, there was a time where I was in the studio for a little bit with that that girl named Bad Baby, who was the Doctor Phil Cash Me Outside yeah. girl, right? She had a song called Bestie. I think it went gold, but it was a smash. And if it was anybody but her, it would have been double platinum, triple platinum. Oh, shit, because people but, hate her. But it, it's like we don't, and not even we. I thought the song was hard, and I thought she was like you know, um, a cool girl, but sometimes people just don't want to hear music from you. And that, I mean, that's a tough reality, but like, you know, Chanel West Coast from Rob Beardick's show makes music. And you could maybe argue that she has a tougher hill to climb than the artist starting at zero, because you got to convince everybody that knows you from something that's not music, kind of like this novelty parody show that you're a serious artist. And, and sometimes that's that's a harder that's a harder sell than just popping up as just a, a new kid out of nowhere starting at the bottom. Man, this 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 is a great topic because I mean, God, I, I wanted to talk about the whole bad baby thing too, but we'll get what, yeah. what's the name again? Uh, Chanel West Coast. No, no, no. Her before the artist before. Oh, uh, bad, bad baby. baby. Yeah, bad baby. Yeah, we yeah. got to get back to that bad baby because that's so important. But yeah, I have a theory on the Hannah Montana's Miley Cyrus flipping that whole image. I have a, a real big theory about this shit. Okay. Because when you go from Disney and you are like an 11 year old, like Hannah Montana, and you have this like pure thing, mm -hmm. it always seems like the industry, when you hit 18, they do some crazy shit. Like this initiation in the public eye to flip you as a woman. They flip yeah. the, the they, they don't want you to think anymore of Hannah Montana as this little girl anymore. So they, yeah. they, they blanch your, they, 
they find a way to to sexualize the the female singers and they just flip yeah. 180 and then all of a sudden you're like oh shit i see britney spears this is totally that's no more mouseketeer that right that, that's britney spears and then i think it just fucks these kids up and they become like i think justin timberlake all of them go through this sort of whatever <laughs> made up scandal to make you your brain the public yeah jump out of this like oh wait we we're now sexualizing this artist and yeah that's how they get him to buy into like the new character versus the the the, the old that you're talking about so I, I don't have a ton of experience on that side of the thing but i i i, I can see it you know and i think especially for the kids i think we're starting to learn how much predatory behaviors involved yeah. like especially dan snyder over at nickelodeon like he has i don't know i don't know if accusations are the right word but there's like this lengthy history of him behaving a certain way and it's actually on camera like certain things he was implementing that we just didn't catch because it was a different time and we were younger but yeah, I mean, when it comes to like the Miley Cyruses or you, you kind of see it fall off the rails and now she's at the age where she's able to like kind of grasp it all back and be like, no, like I'm not going to play that game anymore. I can do what I want to do. But yeah, I mean, I do recall like the post-Hannah Montana years where it got weird and it got like really like unidentifiable um, for a little bit. And yeah, I mean, I don't know what goes on with like minor uh entertainers especially like on the disney nickelodeon side but you know it has to be something because there's way too many uh examples of it going south it it is mind-blowing when you start to analyze the landscape right and that's yeah. why i get terrified of bringing my daughter into like a lot of people are like oh you should get her into the business and i'm like i don't know man that's that shit can destroy and derail you for life you know when yeah you don't come from a, a strong mindset and i think it's very yeah. individualistic depending on the kid well yeah and, and two i think probably a lot of it are these kids not necessarily wanting to go and do it but their parents wanting them to go and do it and maybe living vicariously through their kids and uh you know that's that's how it ends up this way like just even yesterday there were some text messages that came out from one of r kelly's victims it was r kelly's victim talking to her mom and she was 16 at the time and her mom was saying you know entice him sit on his lap and it's like man like that 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 is just as much the parents fault as it is r kelly's fault she go to jail like the mom should go to jail for that shit absolutely but i think that's how a lot of kids end up in those scenarios where their parents aren't necessarily as cautious as they should be and they just say like oh she's gonna be on tv and she's gonna be a star like take her do 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 what you gotta do that that's my guess like i said i'm not i'm not in that world but i mean i feel like just using like deductive reasoning that that some iteration of that is probably happening yeah no let's go back to this um bad baby like yeah i i really am interested in the optics of that because we yeah. get the Dr. Phil thing is like catch me outside all this yeah, yeah. catchphrases and she's such a royal bitch to her mother and to Dr. Phil but is she really that way in human no 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 um, an act I was in the studio with them for like about a month um, we were managing someone that helped on the writing side um, 
It was her, her mother, and then she had a security guard. And those three were tight-knit. Like, the, the mother-daughter relationship, they yelled at each other. But what teenage daughter and their mother does don't, especially from Florida, right? Like, they, it, it, like I, it never felt to me, it, it felt like they were being exploited. And th- this is, like, uh, unrelated. But I, I feel like Dr. Phil made a career off of exploitation either way. But um, yeah, with her, like I, I never, she was just, I think she was 14 or 15. She just felt like a, like a little girl. She just felt like a teenage girl that like just learned bad words for the first time and just want like started acting out. It was just like, Oh yeah, this is a teenager. This is wow. what teenagers do. Um, And she had an incredible manager at the time that, that has been able to make her a boatload of money. That trajectory, yeah. man. And- she shouldn't have like, she should not be rich, but she is rich now. And it's because, you know, the optics of it are messy. But if you, like, take a step closer in, they, they were pretty on top of their stuff. Yeah. I, and I can't imagine her being or her team being sloppy. You can be. You, you, you don't make $50 million dollars. By being sloppy. By being sloppy, yeah. Because when I look at it from, and you know, for the audience who are not who are not familiar with this person, uh, this is the young girl who really had a foul mouth on Dr. Phil, came on with her show, and a few years later, she was she got in the music game. Somehow, kind of like changed her trajectory uh, of being this sort of delinquent, junior delinquent. And became this musician artist person, and yeah, made a bunch of money from. I mean, and did she tour? I mean, how did she? Yeah, she she toured. She um, I remember in the midst of it, she got a million dollar like cosmetology deal, like some cosmetics company um, gave her a million dollars. Like, like I said, she has a gold record. That's more than a lot of artists can say. That's um, crazy. And so, yeah, I, you don't you don't get there by Being by messy. chance or by luck or by being sloppy. Yeah. What What do you think her her team did right? they um they were able to move quick on that moment that those moments don't last very long and when i say move quick it's not give them one piece of content like she was everywhere for a little bit she yeah. was she was doing anything she had to do to 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 stay relevant and i don't mean that as an insult at all like that that is such a, an important part for an artist in between album cycles is staying relevant, staying connected with fans. Um, And then we're also in a place now where if five people hate you, five people are going to love you too, right? Like just by nature of like division right now. Um, And so if you're, you know, if you're somebody that liberals hate because you're too mouthy, the conservatives are going to take you in just out of precedent like just out of principle because our enemies don't like you we'll take you in and i think that kind of works for everybody like like if you know the old people don't like you we're gonna love you or if the r&b purists say you're not a real r&b act come over here the pop r&b people are take you in and i think you know i and that goes for everything like you know it's politics sports music you know that it's like the rule of three i think is what they call it or the rule of ten it's like three people are gonna like you three people are gonna hate you and four people are just gonna be indifferent about it it's a good thing to to, to remember when you know when you're out there and 
you get a lot of hate because yeah like don't be afraid to piss afraid people of off yeah don't be afraid because i'm trying to think of more entertainers in that space but like let's say like somebody like lena dunham who's an actress she pissed a lot of people off she continues to piss a lot of people off with her maybe um ignorant remarks but because everybody is so accessible now you're not going to be the only person that shares those ignorant thoughts mm. and those people are going to embrace you and they're going to support you monetarily and so there's always an audience for somebody out there going back to this idea of i, I didn't allow you to finish this idea earlier when we were oh, talking yeah. about uh if you were to manage somebody who followed on your train tracks that you laid down for them. Yeah. You know, um, what are some of the things that you would have to ask new artists that you sign to say, Hey, here are the tracks, uh, train tracks, not music tracks. Mm -hmm. Here are the yeah. train tracks that I, I require you to go down in order to even have a shot at. Yeah. Success. Uh, you, you have to start with an open mind. Like I, I think the biggest thing is people, having this idea of the path it takes and uh, sometimes the path is ugly like sometimes so and what i mean by that is we were managing somebody um a few years ago and we were doing these la high school tours and we we pop up during lunch and give them two songs and that's scary for a lot of people and and you know credit to the artist we were managing at the time she embraced it right but a lot of artists would say no that's beneath me i'm not doing that there were two of us on that high school LA tour. One of one of us was us, and the other artist was Roddy Rich, who is the box, who is Rockstar, who whose album, I mean, he went number one a couple years ago. Like he's a huge, huge artist now, has a record with Drake, like, but he he did that. He did the thing, and it goes back to like not being afraid to be embarrassed because nobody cares about that now. Nobody recalls that he had to do that at one point. So that that's one of the things. And another big thing is just being able to identify who you are. Like I said, like if you're going to be the skateboarder, if you're going to be the the bougie girl, you got to you got to do that. And if you come to me and say, "Well, I'm I'm the bougie artist that I want all the pretty bougie girls to connect with." Okay, well then you're going to have to go to Saks Fifth every day mm. and post on your Instagram story that you're in the dressing room that you're buying this. And if you don't have you know, the, the finances to bankroll something like that, fake it. Like go, go to the store, take pictures of the champagne glass that they give you and then go home. Like you gotta be that person Holy or else it's not going to believe it's not believable. That's incredible, man. So you're basically saying whoever you are, you got yeah. to go all in, even if you can't support that financial live and die by that. And there's a few like really good examples. Janae Aiko, who was um, an incredible R&B singer. Wait, was she half, half Japanese, half black? Uh, yep, yep. God, she was so talented. She was on like the gospel singer one uh, documentary, right? I'm not sure, but she's an incredible singer. And the thing you know about her, maybe even more than her music, is who she is as a person and what she stands for. She's big into astrology. She's big into um, like holistic wellness you know that in her interview, she's going to bring up her crystals and her chakras and being at peace mentally. And that audience, it doesn't really matter what you put out. You, you know, 
she's successful because she puts out good music or she's this successful because she puts out good music, but you know what her stage is going to look like. There's going to be dream catchers and you know, you know, it down to like what her color scheme is, you know, she's lavenders and, and, you know, another person would be like a G easy who is like, like rock star rapper, leather jacket. Um, we'll talk about fucking your girlfriend. We'll talk about drinking whiskey straight. Like, but you know who they are. And because you know who they are, you can relate to them. You can feel like you know them personally and you can support them. So you basically have to create a story that really reflects who you are. Yeah. Go all in with it. Ideally, you're already that person. We don't have to do too much embellishing. Right. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, of course, there's it's going to go down to like everything. The way your Instagram feed looks, the way the music videos look, the artwork looks, your stage production looks, everything. I mean, you could say that about everybody who is in the game of entertainment, from mm -hmm. actors to writers yeah. to you think about everything. It's really your fingerprint being projected out into the world. And if you could, yeah. the clearer you could describe your fingerprint, yeah, the more people and followers will latch on because they can relate to that fingerprint. For sure. I think that's why somebody like Billie Eilish does so well because she's um, transparent and vulnerable with her mental health, especially in a time where people in her demographic are dealing with severe mental health issues. They have a voice, not only a voice, but like a huge voice, somebody that is one of the biggest pop stars in the world. Um, there, there's very, very few artists that get by on pure talent. I think we could probably name them right now. It's probably Ed Sheeran, Adele, and I'm thinking people that can sell out 20,000 seats. I can't think of anybody else. Everybody else, they live and die by the, the brand that they belong to. Gaga has and, both. Yeah, I mean, and Gaga is, she might be one of the better uh, examples of yeah, like. She's the perfect example of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. She, she is who she is. And. There is such a big community out there of people that were waiting for somebody like her to be their voice in entertainment. And and she makes good music. And so if you if you can figure out how to like mesh those two things, you're gonna be you're gonna be all right. And like I said, it doesn't have to be something so broad. You you can be as niche as you want with it, and there will be a community out there that can that can do it. Like I always tell people too, like don't focus on being big focus on making one new fan a day and when i say one new fan a day like one new real fan somebody that will buy your merch somebody that will buy a concert ticket because if you can get a thousand people to give you a hundred dollars a year now you're making six figures a year as an artist and when you start to um put it in in those kind of numerical senses it starts to be less intimidating oh a thousand people i have a hundred thousand instagram followers already i just got to get you know, 1% of them to become real supporters of super me. Fans, yeah, super I fans. can do that. Yeah. There's books written on this idea of super fans, which is a thousand super fans contributing a dollar. Um, yeah. You know, Taylor Swift has built a career on breakup songs. Yeah. It's all breakup songs. I mean, it's like, when well, you think about huge audience for that, huge audience. I mean, it's yeah. Genius. A stroke of luck or is it real like you know that just keeping to her brand and keeping to who she really is and she was saying on an interview uh, on npr one time she was like 
one of the things that I fear most is if I find happiness because that all goes away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really fair. She, she was also um, blessed favorably with a guy named Max Martin on her first album, who is inarguably the biggest songwriter of all time. I'm talking about like, hit me baby one more time. I want it that way. Um, He's out of Sweden or something, or is he out of here? Yeah. Yeah. He's Swedish. Um, But then, yeah, like there's plenty of people that get a Max Martin record that can't do anything with it. Um, And and she was able to, yeah, be that person, be the voice of young girls that are heartbroken right now. Um, And she ran with it. And now she's, you know, probably a top five pop star, maybe ever, top 10 pop star ever. Dude, the crazy thing is this. It's not just young women who are getting heartbroken who love Taylor Swift. I yeah. know Asian brothers. Yeah, I'm, generation. I'm one of them. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm here. That's crazy. I, I have not one or two of these friends. I have many yeah. of these friends that are guys that are like, when you look at them, you're like, there's no way. But you know, they go out and buy six tickets and they're sitting by the computer and then, you know, or they're literally like they wear the, the shirt and there's yeah. like masculine guys, but mm-hmm. you're right. It goes back to that branding thing that mm-hmm. goes back to it. It's like, you know who you are, you put it and you project it strongly out there. Yeah. That, I think a big mistake people can make is getting away from that right when it's starting to work. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if you're on the cusp of being the guy that is the voice for heartbroken males, don't all of a sudden be the sexy, like, I'm too cool for school. I, I'm a womanizer guy. That I think that's when you start to lose people. Or yeah, I'm not going to say this person's name, but I know somebody who, like, made a career off of kind of being, like, a voice of, like, maybe, like, nerds or, or people that are just more... Um, reserve people that maybe spend a lot of their time inside the house, watching movies, playing video games, incredibly successful, but then got some money and, you know, is he started looking better and started getting with prettier girls and then tried to be that guy in his music. And it's like, we don't believe you. Even if it's your reality, we don't know you from that. We don't want you to be that person. We, we, we love you because you we finally felt like we had somebody, we had some representation in this. We had somebody that made anime references in music or um, references to being, you know, an introvert. And now you're like the ladies, man. I don't, I don't like this. Yeah. You just don't go from being Ed Sheeran. And then all of a sudden you flip to being Harry Styles. If, if Ed Sheeran did his next show in a silk shirt that was only buttoned two buttons up, we would freak out. We'd be yeah. like, this is weird. I don't even like this. This this is not cool to us. And likewise, you don't go to Harry Styles to see an Ed Sheeran either. You Yeah, and if Harry Styles came out and and you know wore the weird, like, you know, the the thick frame glasses and then did like a monologue about how girls don't like him, we'd be like, We don't believe you. Like And and it makes me wonder, like in the eighties when you had like the Whitney Houston's or the Michael Jackson's, mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't it wasn't a cult of personality that we were really we were really into the technical yeah music of of quincy jones producing for michael jackson or for whitney houston you you know and and we didn't really have to think much yeah cult of personality that we do today i think the barrier to entry was so much different right like even from the ground level because back then you know 
a high school kid can make music with $500, can go buy a little cheap studio, set it up in his room for $500. You couldn't do that back then, right? Like recording on tape alone is just basically a, a tricky thing. And so the barrier to entry was probably, and distribution, right? Distribution is a big thing because we're talking about um, cassette tapes, which require Physical big distribution. distribution. And so um, the barrier to entry was most likely like some big execs really having to find actual talent that they were confident could sell well because now they don't you don't have the luxury of being like yeah let's let's just sink fifty thousand into this kid and see if it works and if it doesn't you know taylor swift will recoup our losses now that's you know that's you can do that you can sign 500 acts a year and if eight percent of them are profitable you can kind of consider that a net win because you don't have to sink a lot of money into these kids anymore back then it's like no you got to give whitney a million dollar advance it's going to cost a million dollars to make the album so it's got to work and so it's just it's, it's a different time different time so interesting how things are going you know whether it's yeah. a film game or music game what does this all mean for representation for the Vietnamese? Um, you know, what does it mean to be Vietnamese to you? Does it affect you? It doesn't, um, you know, you're so in, in, engulfed in the mainstream world of music. Yeah. But do you ever like, I don't know, do you ever think about like how your name, your face, your identity as a Vietnamese person comes into play or not it's really nothing because you're not in front of the camera and you don't have to deal with that. yeah I, I was gonna say like like naturally I, I don't like to be very outspoken to the public i think you know my voice will travel my voice travels where i wanted to travel which is in the studio in the meetings um so i never really think about my representation too much just because i don't really want to represent anybody and from a public perspective i don't even really want to represent myself like as as just me just because i i stray away from being in front of the camera i stray away from being like a public figure but um i you know it is very very abundantly clear when i'm in meetings or in the studio that i am often the only person of asian descent definitely the only person of vietnamese descent and i think that is just by nature of our culture prioritizing um, higher education, prioritizing maybe a more, um, what would be the word? A more Aggressive. objectively successful, right? Like, like I'm, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a dentist, I'm not a, and so I'm, I'm just even thinking about my cousins. They're on that path just because they were raised in more traditional Vietnamese households. And you've met my father, he is, um, He's very progressive. He, um, you know, just wants his kids to be happy. Same with my mother. You know, my mother is obviously Caucasian, but they raised, you know, me and my little sister to just do what we wanted to do, um, which is probably why my sister is going to be um, in the minority of Vietnamese, you know, hospitality managers because, you know, we weren't really forced down um, a path of science or medical. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely... I've become less aware of it more and more over the years just because I'm I'm in these scenarios every single day. But when I was younger, I, it was very, very apparent to me, like, oh, I'm I'm the only Asian person here for sure. But does it 
make a difference to you? Like, no, I'm, I, I'm confident in what I do. And I think what I have done speaks volumes. And I think that people, if they don't know what I've done, I think, I think the confidence, <clears throat> maybe even arrogance sometimes will, will come out in my voice. And so I'm, it, it, I appreciate being the, the person that you don't expect this to come out of. Like I appreciate being somebody that looks like I do to, to talk the way I talk. You don't expect, if you just saw my name on paper, you wouldn't sit here and say like, Oh, music guy, entertainment guy, sports guy. But I am. And I appreciate that in, in every aspect of my life. I also appreciate, you know, my tattoo artist says this to me. He keeps going, you should get your neck tatted. I go, absolutely not. And I never will, but he keeps going, no, but it's cool because we need representation of tattooed people that are intelligent and smart and well-spoken and successful. And I, I like to think that like, I can be the, you know, Asian person that is successful in music. I can kind of be the anomaly um, that maybe encourages other people to, to do the same. You know, uh, what about flipping the tables? Do you ever yeah. come across a Vietnamese artist or in, in your mind's eye right now, if there are Vietnamese American artists that come by who want to pursue music and who wants to, to move along? Yeah. I mean, is it important to you? Is it, should it be important to the community, the Vietnamese diaspora to say, you know what, we got to put extra energy behind promoting our own or do you believe in the, Hey, if you grind and if you have the merit, you're going to get to where you need. It's a meritocracy. I think that there's a world where both can exist. I think um, so. We went out, um, what was it, Saturday night to a Vietnamese comedy show. And for the first time in my life, I realized how supportive that community is. Right. Because it was what it was it five or six comedians. Four of them were not funny, but four of them. were being supported just because they're they're from this community that is so supportive and it, it really made me think like and i guess this kind of goes back to the branding thing like if you're a vietnamese artist you should probably be a vietnamese artist through and through and through um and i haven't ran into any vietnamese artists but there are a few um artists of asian descent that i follow on instagram and i do see them you know, embracing that side. And I do see them getting support from their culture. I got a buddy named Nico, who's Filipino. He's a DJ at 92.3 here in LA. And um, he went on a whole DJ tour of the Philippines this year. And in my head, I'm sitting here thinking like a DJ on a tour? That sounds, it doesn't even sound possible, but it's because he is so appreciated by his culture that it's allowed him to, to do that. Yeah, like Apple D of the Black Eyed Peas. Same thing. For sure. You know, Dan Vo, uh, he's been on the podcast. He, I'd like to get you and Dan uh, together on the podcast one of these days. Yeah. He manages uh, Apple D over the ba uh, Black Eyed Peas. It's the same thing. It's like the culture in the Philippines embraces Apple D because he's Filipino. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that are so important as a minority or as a person of color is that if you are open to that culture embracing you your own culture yeah. embracing you there's a lot of love that can come from it for sure i think um just in my later 20s i've started to understand that um you know i grew up in a primarily caucasian town uh, my friend group was really really diverse um, but we didn't really 
notice it, right? Like when we went to um, my black friend's house, it didn't feel like we were in my black friend's house. When we went to my Mexican friend's house, it didn't feel like we were in my Mexican friend's house. And so kind of growing up, I don't know if I really ever um, felt myself embedded with any culture. But over the last couple of years, I've started to understand it a little more and appreciate it a little more. Um, I And I think it's, I, th- I think it's more important than I realized, um, especially like, you know, hanging out with you and my auntie more and, and seeing, cause I'm, I've never been in a room ever in my life where it was 95% Asian until Saturday. Wow. And um, it was really cool because I think the few times I have been in like really, really Asian environments, it's always been more catered to higher education and so it's never been anything I can really connect with. But like on Saturday, we were out hanging out with really cool people that dressed like me and talked like me and took shots with us. And I'm like, oh, man, like this was really cool. I, I, I've never been in a scenario like this in my life ever. Yeah. And you've been in L.A. for years. Oh, year. Yeah. I've been here for nine years, nine years, almost a decade. And do you know yeah. that the president at Billboard Entertainment is Vietnamese? No, I had no idea. Mike Van. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, there's not a lot of Vietnamese in the music game, though, because, you know. Yeah, and I just think that goes back to, like, the generation that raised us, right? Like, they. there's a lot of Vietnamese in film, though. Oh. There's there's so many Vietnamese. So, let me ask you a question. Is the Vietnamese film world more lucrative or does it have a wider audience than maybe the music world? Because I do know. Asians love movies. The, the Vietnamese have their kind of marquee movies. Do, do they have or do we have marquee artists? You know, that's a great question because I think in music, it's much less money. And I yeah. think in film, there's more jobs. There's more positions. There's and, everywhere from writer, director, producer, above the line. And then you have all these below, you know, you have camera, camera ops. You got so that's the biggest difference. Below the line, guys, the music don't make any money. Yeah, zero, I can imagine. There's but, no like, union for engineers. There's, there's no, no studio, union. Yeah. yeah. Like in the film side, there's so many positions that you can – you could you could be above the line, you under you know below the line, above the line. There's yeah. all of this money that's happening, and then you could go out and create your own little like short, and then you could yeah. put it out there, and then next year you could be hired to do a, a feature film. That's it's so just- interesting you say that because the big difference I think from a business side between uh, film and music is in music we um, equate success to albums sold or units sold or streams and film they're able to equate success to how much money the film made and so it's a lot more transparent right this made a hundred million dollars this sold a hundred thousand units you don't know what a hundred thousand units actually generated though you don't know if they even netted a profit i think that might be why there's more there there's more people gravitating to film because yeah ten sometimes ten thousand units makes an artist money sometimes a hundred thousand units loses an artist money right and in movies it's a little more transparent this was our budget this is what we did first weekend this is what we did second weekend this is what we did third weekend and this was our you know 
fiscal year gross for this movie. We don't have that in music. We don't have a, a net. We don't have P&Ls in music ever. Okay, so let's just get into that because that's some, another big part of my, my questioning here is if that's the case, yeah. how is the music business surviving? How do you survive? How do you make a living? Like me personally? I mean, let's start with you personally, yeah. Yeah, so all of our artists are independent. And so um, essentially we are the label. And I say that to say that's how people make money in music, the label. This is the trade-off. You're going to uh, sign a, let's say, a million-dollar deal. You're an artist that signs a million-dollar deal with a major label. That million-dollar deal is going to be a 17.5% royalty rate deal. So after you recoup that million dollars, you're owed 17.5% of everything net. Now, the issue is, let's say $100,000 comes in. 80% of that goes to the label and you recoup 17.5%, that also goes to the label. So for you to recoup a million dollars, you need to generate like over $5 million to your label. Nobody does that. And that's why labels are so lucrative because they can 5X their money fairly frequently. Now the trade-off is gonna be, <clears throat> we're gonna make you such a big star that that 17.5%, you're not gonna, it's not gonna bother you because you're going to be so big that you can go tour the world and sell merch. And that's how you're going to make your money. The unfortunate truth is like, it's less than 3% of artists that are still on their label five years after they sign their deal. And so I personally make my money is because we don't sign to major label deals. And if we do, we get out of those major label deals. And so the money that comes from streaming comes to us and our artists. How other people make money in music, I don't. I couldn't answer you that question. I don't know. I, I mean, I know that it's a lot of fake until you make it stuff going on. And, you know, I'm not the, the richest person in the world and all of our artists are independent. So I, I could imagine it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty tough to make money in music. Yeah. But, but your checks come from streaming predominantly or do they come from concert tours? What is, what is it? What is your business model at your management? Yeah, yeah. And so um, the only thing that is guaranteed for us is our monthly royalties are going to come in. That's the only thing that we look at as salary. Oops, sorry, buddy. Salary, I guess. Everything else is a given. And we learned that because of COVID, right? Like we had a quarter million dollar tour lined up that we had to cancel for COVID. Um, the other thing with touring is there's a ton of overhead in touring. And so yeah. if you're an artist that can only justify $12,000 a night in guarantees, you're probably breaking even because those bus drivers are on a union and they get paid. You got to get hotel rooms for showers. So you got to get your bus driver hotel room every city. The crew's going to crash on the bus, but you got to get another room, uh, a washroom, a day room where we can shower, get ready, you got to give all those, you got 10 people on tour with you. You got to give them all $40 a day per diem so they can eat, right? You got to also pay them a salary because they're sitting there on tour with you, being your DJ, playing your guitar, being your photographer. And so um, you hear a lot of artists say the money's in touring. The money's in touring when you're selling out 5,000 tickets a show. Before that, unless you're like really bare bones, nitty gritty, like you and a DJ out there, it, it, it's tough. Merch is tough too, just because it's, you know, 
you got to have a real, real fan that wants to be able to like buy a shirt with your name on it. Um, and so, yeah, mu- music, like that's why I said, I think that the 1% are making 98% of the money, 95% of the money. Um, but in my mind, it could all be doable. It can all be. It, I mean, and, no, no. And I don't want to discourage anybody. It is doable. I'm doing it. You know, our, our, artists are, our artists are doing it. Um, just do it the right way. You know, I don't. Um... And, and here's what I mean by it can all be doable. It sounds yeah. like this. If you know yourself, if you know yeah. your brand mm-hmm. and you go hard in the paint for like, I don't know, three to five years. And yeah. you build up a base and you mm-hmm. you grind it out. You build a base five years, eight years, right? Yep. You catch this following and you somehow get lucky and you can start selling 3,000 tickets per show. Then you have yep. something you can really put your – you sink your teeth in and your time in. Yeah, and and not only that, if if you're five years in, I would like to think your catalog is relatively big by that point. You don't need to stream a million times a song to make some money. If you're five years in, I hope you put out two projects a year, 12 songs each, 24 times five. We have over 100 songs in our catalog now. If you can get 2,000 streams a month on each one of those songs, that's $1,000 a month. And I'm not saying you you can live off of that, but if you can get four thousand streams or eight thousand streams, now we're talking about let's now we're talking about you could pay your rent with this. <clears throat> if you got five, uh, if you, if you if you put out two projects a year for five years, and you're getting a million streams over all those songs, which isn't a ton. Now we're talking about ten thousand streams a song. Now you're making more than the average American. It's just, and so it's just a numbers game, like a long tail. A hundred percent a numbers game. You just and gotta stay at it. Stay at it. Like build your catalog. Don't and this is the other thing about building your catalog. Let's say your first 40 songs do nothing. They all got 300 streams. And then you catch one. You finally catch one that does 10 million streams. That back catalog is gonna grow with it because now you have this whole new audience that goes, Oh, I like this song. Let me figure out what happened here. I think the best example of that is a kid named russ who hasn't really had a hit when you talk about billboard i don't think he's ever charted top 40 or if he has he hasn't really cracked top 20 but he'll tell you like i have songs that are gold now that i that went gold today that i put out in 2015 just because people that are discovering my music today are going all the way back to the beginning of my catalog and realizing that i've been making good music this whole time it just hasn't connected until now and so, and that's why I say like, you, you can't, no, nobody's first thing is going to be incredible. Nobody's first thing is going to hit for you. But if you keep going, and it's, it's like anything, like you think LeBron James was dunking the ball when he was yeah. seven? Of course not. Like you think like, you think Apple was Steve Jobs' first idea? No, like, of course not. And so just keep going, like <clears throat> keep going. You know, I always tell people like, until you have like, real responsibilities and by that i mean like a family yeah. uh you know people you got to take care of like be be selfish like that you know that's what i'm trying to get better at embracing right now like i'm 29 with no you know responsibilities outside of my own well-being i i kind of can be selfish and and now this guy malibu but um you know i, I can be selfish and i can you know and how I want to spend, you know, to, to better my career. And and that's what I would encourage anybody to do. Like, it, it, 
If you can be selfish, do it. You know, we're going to get you back on uh, with Dan and hopefully get you on a panel or two down in Orange County because I think yeah. young kids at the high schools uh, should hear about this idea of like if they do want to break in, when they do, yeah, that there was somebody on the other end that could give them some really sound advice. I, I love going back home and talking to my old high school. It's, 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 it's a cool thing for me to do. Yeah. And, and you have so much to offer. And shout out to your aunt, uh, Jang. And, um, you know, really appreciate her for having you come on um, come on the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Yep. So we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, Cameron. Yeah, absolutely. Talk soon, man. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts.